0: listening to Vet Candy.
1: Welcome everybody to this episode of Vet Candy IRL. I'm your host, Shannon Gregoire. So today we have a super special veterinarian that is someone that I've known actually for a couple years now. I think it's Coming up on our two year anniversary from when we first met with Vet Candy and Pet Candy. So I'm so excited to have him back on the show today and help me welcome Dr. Courtney Campbell.
2: Thank you, Shannon. That I should be calling you Dr. Shannon. Thank you, Dr. Shannon, for that intro. I, you know, I'm so glad that you brought that up because I didn't even realize that it's actually been two years that we've known each other. There is a new type. Of relationship that has started over the past two years where you can become incredibly acquainted with someone virtually and having never met them in person. I, I, I think we need a new name for that kind of relationship.
1: Yeah, I know. There definitely needs to be a term for that because I have so many of those. It's crazy.
2: Now, I was going to say virtual friends, but I think meta friends sounds even better. You know, if you say, "Ooh, yeah, oh, he's he or she is my meta friend. That means like, you guys have never really met in person, but you definitely are well acquainted virtually. And that is exactly how I feel about you. You're my first meta friend.
1: Yes, first meta friends. <laughs> That's awesome. I know I saw you at VMX on like social media and stuff. And I had severe FOMO with that, but next year I will be there.
2: Promise you've got to come to VMX. And, you know, I described that conference to people uh, as just having a different energy. I love conferences. I love CE, just getting a chance to fellowship and have that rapport with all of your colleagues. But when you come to VMX, there is this sort of, I almost want to say borderline celebration, party level feel where people are just so positive uplifting, creative, and it's a really nice conference. So, yes, I hope you and I get a chance to see each other there.
1: Yep. Circa 2023 in Orlando. I'm planning on it. <laughs> Got to get out of this New England uh, winter for a couple days and do something productive with it.
2: No doubt. I mean, let's just set the scene for a second. Right now, you and I are having a conversation where you are buried under 20 inches of snow, right? I believe you're outside in an igloo having this conversation. No, I'm just kidding. Right now set the scene for us where are wh- what what's going on where you are right now.
1: Yeah, we just had, you know, one of those quote-unquote historic like snow bombageddon blizzards where it snowed for over 18 hours or something like that. It was crazy. It was all like almost all day yesterday and a little bit of Friday night. So it, it dropped almost almost 20 inches of snow, maybe like 18 inches and it was so gusty, you can't even tell
2: unbelievable. But it, they call I've heard terms like bomb cyclone, snowmageddon. But then you bring up the snowdrifts. That's intense. You know what I mean? That's really intense. Those snowdrifts. Well, I'm just happy that you're warm. You're safe. You're not out there getting frostbite. And then on top of that, I wonder I wonder about if you have a pre- like a preferred beverage during uh, weather like this. Do you like hot chocolate? Coffee tea? Is, is that your thing?
1: Yes, I'm definitely a huge um, caffeine addict. I love my my Nespresso. Um, I also love, it's called the London Fog. It's actually black tea with foamed milk in it and a little bit of vanilla syrup. And it's amazing.
2: Okay, this is really sad. I am a major tea lover, the major tea lover. And I think the first time I ever had a London Fog was about a year ago. And I immediately fell in love. It's so crazy because I'm thinking to myself, If you're this much of a tea aficionado, how have you never had a London Fog? Well, I had one and the game over. I liked it. It was actually at a bookstore, surprisingly. I was just looking Yeah, I mean, first and foremost, people don't go to bookstores anymore. But I was there and I said, let me get something to drink. And I just said on a whim, let me order a London Fog. And now I will never forget that. When was the first time you ever had a London Fog?
1: Well, it was in my... First year of vet school, one of our anatomy technicians, we always joked with him and he would um, we'd sometimes make bets and everything with our exams. And afterwards, if we got the right answer, he'd like buy you a Starbucks drink. And um one of us in my friend group made a bet with him over some sort of question and they ended up getting it right. So they were like, Oh, what should I get from Starbucks? And he asked them if you ever tried a London fog. And none of us knew what a London fog was. We were like, what the heck is that? Like, is it coffee or, you know? And he was like, it's Earl Grey tea with steamed milk and vanilla. And I was like, oh my God, I need to try this. It Sounds amazing. And I got one the next day and it changed my life. I make them all the time.
2: Wow. This is crazy. I think not only do I think it's incredible that you and I both like London fogs, what I think is incredible is that you and I both know exactly where we were when we tried our first London fog. I think that speaks volumes. You know, I do have to switch it out to oat milk because your boy is lactose intolerant, but that's okay. It's still amazing. You know what I mean?
1: Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I do. I actually really like it with soy milk or oat milk. I don't do dairy either. I don't. I think I'm lactose intolerant because my stomach when I eat dairy is very angry at me. It's not official, but I don't do dairy because I feel crappy when I drink it.
2: Oh, That makes total sense. That makes total sense. You got to switch to lactose friendly. They call it where it has less lactose. That is going to be goat milk for sure. Wow. This is incredible. So I'm curious about the fact that, you know, you said you're a caffeine aficionado. You're in the middle of school. You're at the final round. Do you need that caffeine to keep going to push through?
1: Yeah, it depends. You know, if I keep on my schedule and I'm really good at my exercise routine and my sleep routine, and if I keep myself on track with everything that I'm doing, I find that I need less of it. But when I start to drag butt at the end of the week or, you know, I've had a long, really long week, then I might need another Nespresso at like 3 p.m.
2: There you go. You got to Once you get to the two day, two a day Nespressos, that's when you got to reevaluate like, uh oh, I don't think I'm getting enough sleep. I think that's the battle a lot of people just, you know, just don't quite understand in that here you are trying your best to accomplish a goal, study real hard, but at the same time, try to keep yourself healthy. That is a major challenge. In fact, that's almost like a disciplined job in itself where you have to look at the time, make sure you're in bed at a certain time. You have to make sure you're eating the right foods, sleeping right, watching your stress levels, those kinds of things. That to me, is a next level of discipline just to keep yourself healthy and happy.
1: Yeah, and it's been the most challenging fourth year because we at Western, we jump around to different clinics and we're, our schedules are always changing month to month to month. So that has been the hardest thing, is being able to redo how you schedule everything, like every month, because my schedule is different every month. So it's not like first or second year or even third year with COVID, I had more flexibility and I could kind of stay on the same schedule. It's difficult when you have something, you do it for 30 days and then your next rotation schedule is longer or completely different. You have different days off. So it messes up my whole mantra of everything and I have to redo it.
2: (laughs) Oh, no doubt. The life of a fourth year vet student. That is so interesting. The mentality associated with a fourth year vet student where you know just enough to be dangerous. You're not quite there yet. And so you are doing rotations. You're learning a lot. Arguably, I think there's so many analogies that people like to talk about when studying for vet school. I've certainly heard drinking from a fire hose where the fire hose is the the knowledge, you know, the information and you're trying to drink and gain the knowledge. I've certainly heard where people say you're trying to fit a week's worth of luggage into a carry on all kinds of analogies of like taking a boatload of information and cramming it in your head. That is just as challenging fourth year as it is your first year, because now you're putting everything together. What is your mentality like right now in fourth year?
1: Well, I think with fourth year, it is, I do agree with that fire hose analogy. It's super weird sometimes because when you go into a clinic, like you said, you're kind of, you're, you know, almost like 90% a doctor or whatever, but because you don't have your license until after you graduate. So usually, you know, the doctors like to do their own callbacks and a lot of their own communications, um, but you do the procedures with them. um, But then you have a lot of awkward free time in the clinic where the doctor's are doing, you know, their phone things or whatever they're doing or typing up their records and then usually I slip back into kind of more of a technician role and try to keep myself busy and make sure I'm keeping up on all my technician skills as well because I never want to be that doctor that has no idea what to do with her hands. We'll be right back with more vet candy.
0: Want to improve your clinical confidence? Check out Vet Candy's master course in ophthalmology. The master course is taught by Dr. DJ Hoisler, a board-certified ophthalmologist, and delivers a thorough evaluation of the science and clinical practice skills needed to master the ophthalmic disease. And when you complete the course, you receive exclusive tools to celebrate, recognize, and share your accomplishment. What's even more exciting? The course is free and provides race and New York State approved continuing education credits. This master course is brought to you by Centrix Animal Care with patented hyaluronic acid technology for everyday comfort for pets, including OcuNovis Biohance Gel Eye Drops Advanced Hydration for Dry Eyes and OcuGlen ES Biohance Ocular Repair Gel supporting faster healing with fewer applications. What are you waiting for? Start learning today at myvetcandy.com slash I.
1: You know, when it comes to like pulling blood and things like that, so I'll ask um, the text there, you know, I did spinal taps at my surgery um, rotation, like to do um, pivacaine blocks. So I learned how to do a bunch of those and I made sure I could place catheters and draw blood You know everywhere from jug to, you know, front rear legs and everything. So I just try to make sure I can keep up on technical skills while the doctor's doing their things that I necessarily don't always help with in the clinic.
2: That makes total sense. It's almost like they they have you you know baking the cake, frosting the cake, but then you don't quite get to eat it. It's re- they bring you right up to that line, but then you don't get to quite be the doctor. You know, it. I will say the experience, and this is so critical, the experience within the veterinary journey is distinctly different when you are at the helm of each journey. What I mean by that is you can't say, listen, I enjoy being a veterinarian when you're a student because it doesn't quite feel like that. Or I enjoy being a veterinarian when you're an intern because it doesn't really give you that feeling. The only time you can really get a realistic picture of what it feels like and the the highs and the lows and the happiness and the anxieties of what it feels like to be a veterinarian is when you are officially at the helm, making those decisions, living with those decisions, watching the progress, the successes, and all the learning opportunities there. So I will definitely say you going through fourth year right now, you're in a tremendous, exciting period that let's be honest, you're never going to feel that again. You'll never be a fourth year vet student ever again. So all I can say is hang on and enjoy the ride.
1: Yes. Yes. I'm trying to definitely ask all the questions I can, because even, you know, I just finished a surgery rotation and I think I've seen enough TPLO procedures for a lifetime, but every doctor does their procedures just a little bit differently. Like just for that procedure, there were some surgeons that used a jig and some that didn't want to use one. So I was asking, you know, why would you like it? And why sometimes maybe people find it a little bit in their way, or maybe like a little cluttery in their, in their surgery. So it was really interesting to see how everyone makes, you know, maybe slightly different entry points when they do laparoscopic spay pexy. I've also, you know, some of them make two incisions, some of them make three. So there's definitely a lot of minutiae that you learn that isn't in textbooks that you realize in practice when you go and see how different people were trained and thus practice slightly different from each other, even in the same hospital.
2: There's no doubt that I thought I knew how to do a TPLO because I saw 500 of them. And then when I went to the other side of the table and they gave me the scalpel and said, okay, go ahead. I said, wait, where do I cut? It was like I had never seen a TPLO because the vantage point, is from the other side of the table. Now, obviously, just for any uninitiated listeners, TPLO is the most common dynamic stifle stabilization surgery that there is in vet med, and they can be done on large and small breed dogs. And it's my preferred technique, you know, to stabilize a stifle. And so because of that, because it's the most common procedure, and cruciate disease is the most common orthopedic injury, arguably, More frequent than patelluxation, you get a chance to see this procedure all the time. I mean, multiple times a day. And despite that, I would still say it isn't the same as unless you're on the other side of the table. And I think that is kind of the theme when it comes to veterinary surgery is that if there's one line, I would say it's not the same until you're on the other side of the table. You know, it's just not a spectator sport. So uh, I completely agree with you. You've seen a billion of them. But I hope that one day you do get a chance to do a TPLO. And I'd be curious to hear what you think in terms of being on the other side of the table.
1: Yeah. You know, you never know. Maybe I will do a TPLO someday, but it's definitely a uh, very involved procedure. I'd never seen a a bone saw used before. So that was super interesting at first. And then after the first two, you're like, oh, okay. You know, that's normal what that sounds like and what you kind of see going along with that. I saw a couple lateral sutures also as kind of a, you know, small older dog procedure. Sometimes those are okay, but definitely TPLOs are, are amazing. I mean, they can walk right out the door afterwards. It's a great procedure. I really do love it as a first line CCL treatment.
2: Yeah, I think that the, the ability for them to walk well after the procedure, I think has been largely responsible due to innovations in pain management. So just as like an example, before surgery, a lot of times we will pre-medicate our dogs with gabapentin for three or four days. Intraoperatively or preoperatively, we will uh, perform nerve blocks or ultrasound-guided nerve blocks. And then after the surgery, we'll give noceta, which is a long-acting bupivacaine. And then, of course, we send them home with, you know, uh, we're prescribed anti-inflammatories and a, a host of other pain management medications. So I think that if you can dial in the pain management well, then I think they have a good chance at success. You know, what are you most looking forward to the moment you graduate?
1: I guess just being able to finally call myself a doctor. I know it's like super, super close. So you can kind of almost do it now, but I can seriously taste the, the graduation cake already. And it's pretty insane to be that close. Um, and I think it'll be a really weird feeling. Because then, you know, after this one magical day and you apply for your license and you get it back and you're all of a sudden a doctor, it's kind of unworldly feeling.
2: Yeah. Help me out. Help me out. Because there's two components that I think a lot of people already know, but it's so important to talk about it. It's the idea of being obviously of being graduating. Right. Of course. But then the other, the other possibility is, uh, you know, passing the Navilee, you know, those are two distinct, you know, components. Did I miss that deadline? From my understanding, a lot of people are finding out about the Navalee right now, right? Is that the time to find out about it?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Right now.
2: Wow. Does that create a lot of anxiety among the fourth years? I can imagine because I was anxious.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, everyone's just a ball of anxiety awaiting the results. So it's been a pretty intense time. But, you know, the relief afterwards for everyone is really nice. So it's good to have that in the rear view.
2: Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. And that's exactly the same way that people are like, oh, that must be the most important test in your life. And I always remind people, yes, the NAVLE is important, but a lot of really important tests help you get here. Right. So when it's easy to take a look at the NAVLE and say, OK, what is it? This is the national licensing examination for veterinarians.
1: We'll be right back with more Vet Candy.
0: Hello, this is Caitlin Palmer. You probably know me as the Desk Wench. You know, the sweet TikTok receptionist who has to deal with the evil Karen Stevens. Well, if you like that, you are going to love my new podcast, Desk Wench Confessions. On my show, I have funny guests who tell me about their own Karens. Plus, we have contests, giveaways, and skits. Trust me, you are going to love it. Check it out on a podcast platform of your choice on Vet Candy Radio.
1: You know, some people say that you should take a test before, you know, to see if you're worthy of having a pet. I mean, what do you think about like that kind of psychological argument, you know, as a surgeon, you know, do you think that will keep them out of the OR with their pet or, you know, how does that kind of work?
2: Yeah, that's an interesting postulate. I didn't necessarily think about people taking an exam to have their pet. I will say this, I currently live in California and when it's time to adopt a dog, there is For a good reason, a lot of people who are invested in making sure that that dog's experience or that cat's experience is the best that it can be. It'd be absolutely devastating to have a dog, you know, or a cat or a pet sort of rescued from a bad environment. They go to a shelter. And then when they're trying to find their forever home, they're placed back in a bad environment. That's exactly what we don't want. Consequently. There's a lot more that has to go into adopting a dog than you'd realize. A lot of times they'll have to do visits of your home. You have to fill out an application online. There's phone interviews. Sometimes there's Zoom or virtual interviews. There's so much that goes into, uh, let's say, if you were part of a rescue organization, I'll just pick any breed, like a French Bulldog rescue organization. To, in order to adopt a French Bulldog, the rigors and the quizzes that you have to go through in order to do that are very intense. And some people joke that it's harder to adopt a French bulldog than, than a human child. But the reality is it's no joke. So the answer to your question is, do I think there should be a test? There already is. And there's more than a test for a lot of prospective pet parents. There's the interviews, there's the home visits, there's the the uh, application fees, uh, there's a host of things. And I think I understand where that comes from. It comes from a good place because they want these dogs to be in the forever home that is going to be suitable for them.
1: Yes, absolutely. And, you know, tell us about your, your mission, you know, as our cover model for Pet Candy January, you know, has you know, this platform of that magazine really just helped you kind of push forward what you're trying to educate pet parents about and what you're really passionate about in vet men.
2: Pet Candy is a welcome. When you look at Pet Candy magazine, for me, I think Finally, do we have a platform where, you know, pet parents can learn about a variety of a variety of things that are just helpful to them for every day? These are, you know, in an era in which people can look at magazines and read magazines and, and not necessarily pull a lot of info from them or not necessarily it doesn't really enrich their lives. They enjoy it for a moment and move on. Pet candy is not going to be that experience. Right. So as you take a look at this magazine, you're like, wow. There's so many interesting articles. There's so much important information here. There's so much helpful information that can enrich me and my pet's life. I think I'm gonna hang on to this issue. And then the next thing you know, you're gonna hang on to the next issue and the next and the next. And you're building your own library of knowledge. I wouldn't be surprised if there are people and pet parents who find this magazine and say, you know what? I'm gonna start making, I'm gonna start making my own file at home where I pull certain articles out and say, oh. These are all the interesting articles I read in Pet Candy about diet, about how to feed your dog, how to keep my dog healthy and happy and not overweight, and how to make sure I can exercise my dog. And they start building their own libraries. I can just see that happening just because there's so much out there. But yeah, I, I look at it as, you know, I'm fortunate, so fortunate. I never in a million years thought that I would be on the, the grace, the cover of a Pet Candy. I think what really pushed that over the edge was Bestet. But that she she basically brought it home and people like that is the most gorgeous cat I've ever seen. We need to have that kitty cat on the cover of Pet Candy, and I think that's what pushed pushed it over the line. So I'm very happy. I'm thankful to her that she helped me uh, grace the cover.
1: Absolutely, and on the cover it says you're a man on a mission. So what is your mission, Doctor Campbell?
2: I would describe it as a multi prog mission. That I, I get nervous when I see that because it's like a it's a little bit overstating it. I go, oh my goodness, I better have a mission because people want to know, okay, I, I mean, you got me now. What is the mission? But the reality is it's a multi-pronged mission, right? So the mission first and foremost is our day jobs, right? Is going every day and doing the best that we can for each and every pet, each and every family, day in, day out. And that's what I say. Every pet, every family, every time. Just try to do the best you can. And so on a very granular ground level where the rubber meets the road, that's the first mission. Then the second mission that I was surprised to fall into after I left vet school is about health communication and veterinary health communication. I've always had a strong passion to that. My brother, he's a a nationally renowned journalist And so the idea of veterinary journalism, the idea of veterinary health communication is something that I'm deeply passionate about. I think it's critical for us as veterinarians because we have that innate desire to communicate and effectively communicate in our DNA. It's part of being a veterinarian to give clients good education to essentially prevent that condition from ever happening again, or to counsel families so that pets have a good medical outcome for a condition. If I say to you, yeah, listen, you know, your dog has this particular parasite, but then I don't counsel the family on how to prevent your dog from getting Giardia again. Well I'm not, I'm not really helping. You know, I have to contribute to the idea of treatment and getting better. And I think that sort of idea of communication, that idea of how can we educate pet parents, I think that spreads into a national level. And I've had a lot of fun doing Linear media and daytime talk, non-linear media as well, streaming as far as uh, being on YouTube, of course, digital shorts, magazine articles, all of them have been, of course, and podcasting, of course, everybody check out anything possible at Dr. Courtney's show. All of these multimedia platforms have been part of that mission for just health communication, veterinary journalism. It's just been amazing. And finally, in the past two years, there's also been a strong push Towards uh, increasing diversity in the veterinary medical space, that has also been a really strong mission of mine, and I'm fortunate to be involved with, you know, a variety of organizations, including the DVMC, which is Diversified Veterinary Medicine Coalition, ACVS, AVMA, and Possibilities Vet Med. So, you know, combined with all of those, it's been a busy life, but that's been a really fun mission for me.
1: Yeah, you won um, journalist of the year at the World Global Pet Expo is that correct
2: well shuda you're going to call me out like that yeah that was really one of the highest distinctions and honors that i was ever fortunate enough to to receive and the reality is i told all the, of those who were in attendance i told them the truth i told them that i didn't expect to be here you know i didn't expect to receive an award like that i told them the truth which was if you had talked to me about the fact that i would be in veterinary media or veterinary journalism I would have said to you when I was in vet school, what's that? I, I don't even understand what that is. No one had ever really talked to me about it. There were certainly no classes on it. There was no active desire to pursue something that I had no idea existed. And that's certainly something I really want to emphasize to all students, vet students, or even young veterinarians, or even older veterinarians, whoever you are, you just never ultimately know where you'll end up in life. And so certainly keep your mind open. And part of this school process, part of the educational process is exposing yourself to a variety of platforms, a variety of experiences, so that when it's time to really dedicate your life and your focus to one thing, that's what it will be. You can draw from those experiences and say, this is what I'd like to focus on. So yeah, pet candy, you know, for me is it's a comprehensive look about all of animal health, both from the veterinary side to the pet owner side to the pets themselves and medicine training. It just gives you just comprehensive look as to, you know, all things pets. And that's part of the reason why I love that magazine.
1: Yeah, I completely agree. And I think that's a really good explanation of, you know, what pet candy can give to pet owners. And I think, you know, something that's affecting both pet owners and the veterinary professional community is this veterinary shortage, not just of veterinarians, but our support staff as well. Um, There's never enough techs, vets, support staff to go around. It seems like right now. We'll be right back with more Vet Candy.
0: Hey, this is Dr. Julio Alonso. Do you want to keep up with everything vet med? Then check out my show on Vet Candy TV. We talk about clinical updates, science news, plus some of the coolest people in our profession. Stream at MyVetCandy Candy twenty four seven on YouTube, iTunes, and most other video platforms.
1: What have you seen as what has your experience been with this lately?
2: You know, when it comes to a veterinary shortage, there is no doubt people are feeling it, right? During the pandemic, something interesting happened. Something interesting that we didn't necessarily expect. When we saw the ravages and the sort of disaster that the, the virus was causing, everyone expected that all businesses and industries would contract, things would slow down, People would stay in their houses and everything would come to a grinding halt. Well, for a lot of businesses, that did happen, but not for veterinary medicine. Veterinary medicine, the business level, the increase in demand went up exponentially. Consequently, we basically had long waiting lines, weeks where there was, you know, weeks where people were scheduling surgeries. Uh, we had essentially just this gridlock as far as the flow from, you know, from the home into getting their pets care. So I think that's something that a lot of us did not expect. And it caught a lot of people by surprise. And when you combine that with the natural increase in the demand for veterinary services, everybody started to feel the pinch and it was really stressful. And there were a lot of veterinarians who said, you know what, let's just bite down. We'll get through this and we'll come out on the other side. We'll feel good on the other side. And guess what? There was no other side. There is no other side. It's not going to essentially go back to normal. So I get the idea of like, hey, guys, let's just bite down, get through this, and we'll be fine when all of this is over. But a lot of this will not be, quote unquote, over. This is the new normal or the next normal. This is not, when are we going to go back to normal? I'm thinking... Dr. Shannon, I'm thinking to myself, do we want to go back, right? Or do we want to innovate and get better and become more efficient and find more ways that we can, where people can have access to care? I think going the next level is the key.
1: Mm. And well, there was, you know, according to the ASPCA, about 23 million pets adopted. I don't know what the, if that number is still that high, because I know there are pets now back in shelters, but still that's, you know, millions of more pets in homes. There's you know, people were at stuck at home, staring at their pets all day. So now they're hyper aware of everything that their pet does, you know, what kind of things they need when their problems arise. They're a lot of times seeing them sooner, which is fantastic because they're seeing their pets more often. It's just creating kind of like a bottleneck in services. And I mean, do you have, I mean, the solution isn't going to be just one thing. I think it's going to be a multi-prong approach to kind of figuring out how we move forward, but I don't think it'll ever go back to the way it was before, but I think that's a good thing because when you have pet parents that are more educated, more aware of what their pets are doing and when and why they need to see a veterinary professional, you know, it can save you from having to deal with more complicated conditions later on and hopefully, you know, keep their pets healthy for longer.
2: When we say veterinary shortage, let's make sure we understand exactly what we're talking about here, right? When we say veterinary shortage, we could be very much talking about quantitatively. There's just not enough vets. We could be talking about that. Or we could be talking about qualitatively, where there are enough vets, but you just can't see them when you'd want to. There's long wait times because of the fact that we are trying to treat pets, but also be responsible with COVID regulations. So qualitatively, it can feel like a shortage. And so if I was a pet parent what I would do is number 1 focus on the fact of starting early be observant right so if you're with your pet and you basically are like wait I saw this lump see if you can get that lump looked at early number 2 I would say leverage you know the talents of a veterinary professional right and so if you may not get a chance to speak to the veterinarian every single time right and so make sure that if there is a doctor's assistant or veterinary technician that works closely with that doctor, that is really critical for you to talk with them and develop that streamlined level of care. That way you don't feel like, oh, I can't get to my veterinarian. I can't speak to my veterinarian. Where is they? They kind of left me out up the proverbial creek. No, no, no. There's help. And then finally, number three, leverage telehealth. Really critical. If you can send your doctor or your veterinarian a text, if you can send them a picture, if you can get them a video, if you can uh, even conference it with them virtually, that is going to be key. So number one, start early. If you are a pet parent and you are concerned about a veterinary shortage, keep in mind, number one, start early, be observant. Two, rely on the expertise of the veterinary professionals around your veterinarian, technicians, assistants. And number three, leverage telehealth and make sure that if you need to, because you've already established a relationship with your veterinarian, that you can conference with them, text, video, or use media to help you get through the treatment journey. By the way, just as an aside, sometimes the telehealth can be even more effective, partly because when, let's say you have a dog who's limping, And they come into the hospital, they're pumped, full of adrenaline. They're not showing you any sort of limping. Yeah, they're not limping. And the family will look at me and say, hey, I swear to you, he was limping. And I say to them, you know what? I believe you. I believe you that they were limping. But now they're no longer limping because they're pumped, full of adrenaline. When they go home and relax, they'll pick their leg back up again. But if you film them in their home environment, if you film them where they're comfortable, you will actually see sometimes a more dramatic lameness. Now, let's be clear. The challenge with that, of course, is that you don't get to examine them to find out where it hurts. But when you couple those two, when you couple your exam along with a video from home, that can be really, really helpful.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, utilizing telemedicine when your veterinarian's close, you know, there's a lot of services that you can talk to a veterinary professional for a small amount of money, like $20 or something like that. And you can call and speak to someone so you can figure out if it's actually something that you need to go to the ER for, or if it's something that can wait to get an appointment with your vet, because our ERs are so busy now with, you know, not enough staff or longer wait times at, at clinics that a lot of non-critical things are being pushed to ERs because people just want to get their pet seen because they're stressed and they're freaking out, you know, when something's not right, when they're with their pet, and then it takes longer to see critical cases or you're trying to juggle managing all these non-critical things with your animals that actually immediately need you. So I think having pet owners go to telemedicine and have them be able to get a quick answer for someone to say, hey, this is actually something you need to go to the ER for, or hey, maybe you just want to go to an urgent care that's a little um, different than an ER. It's kind of like, you know, for broken toenails, kind of smaller things. And then you know, oh, this isn't such a big deal. Just make an appointment with your veterinarian as soon as you can. But this isn't like immediately life threatening.
2: There's no doubt. Some people may balk at this analogy, and and I can understand why. But I've have, I have actually heard families say this, where they say to me, you know, Courtney, it's kind of like my own child, right? If I have a child, sometimes if they're having a fever or they're experiencing some emergency, I kind of panic as a parent. I'm like, well how bad is this? Do I need to bring my child to a hospital? And in a very similar mentality, a lot of pet parents feel the same way where it's like, well, this is happening with my dog. Is this an emergency? Do I need to bring in my dog right now? And there are definitely some online resources that can help provide advice. But let me be clear. There's definitely discussions about veterinary client patient relationships and making sure that everything is above board and making sure that everything is legal. But by far, by far, online is, provides, and these services online provide a conduit to help pet parents make sure that they feel comfortable in the moment, they can get some advice from a true veterinary professional, and that if they need to see an ER clinician, they know that, all right, I was thinking this, but now I've consulted with a veterinary professional and they also think I should see an emergency doctor, I think that is a good option. Although I don't think this is true. There are a lot of people who feel that when they call an ER facility, the ER reflexively or knee-jerk says, come on in, right? Regardless of what it is. Oh, my dog's eye is a little swollen, come on in. My dog has just a tiny little mass on the top of his head. Come on in. And they're like, I want some other advice besides just come on in. I do think that there are a lot of veterinary ER hospitals that are giving good advice, but there are some people who have expressed that to me, that they feel like that's all they do. So if that is how you feel, let's say you're one of those people that feels like you don't get great advice from the ER when you call in, then there's services online where people who are not invested in that ER facility, they have no relation to that ER facility and can give you an objective, but extremely informed and educated assessment of what you're describing at home
1: yeah absolutely it definitely I think has a place to really expand and assist our veterinary clinics and you know act as I guess you could say a meta triage and that kind of giving people a, a road to choose from based on you know what this opinion is this subjective opinion is in order for them to kind of help choose which path they need to go on to get care if that's warranted, you know, if it's not just, Oh, maybe wait and see, or, Oh, go to the ER. It's like this meta triage. And I think that's a really cool concept.
2: Yeah, triaging is, is key, and that's exactly what is happening. It's about what is most important, what is critical, what's an emergency, and that could definitely help mitigate some of the veterinary shortages, right? Let's think about things like when we say a qualitative shortage where there's enough vets, but they just can't see all the cases, then you know, having an opportunity to say, all right, this one doesn't necessarily need to come in, that could help alleviate uh, the shortage in a major way.
1: Absolutely. We'll be right back with more Vet Candy.
2: Hey, this is Dr. Quincy Hawley, and I'm here to tell you about a new show. It's Vet Candy Rounds with the Hawleys. That's right. Dr. Tierra, the love of my life, And I
0: have teamed up to bring you the most fascinating cases in the world. Check us out on iTunes, Spotify, or a podcast platform of your choice, only on Vet Candy Radio. Well, thank
1: you, Dr. Courtney, for coming on and talking to me about all these hot topics and from, you know, pet candy to teletriage to, you know, being a fourth year vet student. I think we covered a ton of topics and I hope our audience learned something valuable today.
2: Oh, there's no doubt. This was such a treat. And thank you for having me. I definitely, definitely would love to have you on my podcast as well.
1: Yeah, that would be amazing to come and be a guest on your show instead of vice versa. <laughs>
2: Absolutely. Good luck, Dr. Gregoire. I am so excited on the next journey. Just as um, I know where to find you, if you ever want to find me or anybody wants to find me, at Dr. Courtney DVM on all the socials, right? And Dr. Certainly check me out. That check me out there and uh, come and say hi. But uh, at Dr. Courtney DVM on all socials. Talk to you soon for sure.
1: Awesome. And for all of our listeners, we'll put all that good information in the notes in case you miss anything. Don't worry, we have you covered. So we hope you enjoyed this episode today, and we'll see you next time. This has been Vet Candy IRL, and I'm Shannon Gregoire. It's Vet Candy. Vet Candy. Candy. Vet Candy. Vet Candy Radio.